Shadow box up, just get the dressing going on. Push around the table, you should play, you know, the music when you walk in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, 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 that's the caked in mud, soil and blood in his skin. No ordinary child, he said, eyes as green as leaves, roots that shook at the screen, then the rain. As a man, he stood apart, strong as a silence of trees, broad as a forest stream, 
steady as the coming dark. Hard were the veins that ran to his hair. Love would make them bloom though, and burst the coming dark. The girl was born on the crag when the light was fierce. Premature and washed in sun, her birth was like a song. No ordinary child, they said. A sky in her eyes. Blue as you'll ever get. Gaze like a day without an end. A woman that walked alone. Broad as the last flower. Clever as heartfelt laughter. Steady as waves on a shore. Alone she walked though. Like sunshine through glass. Until she met the coming dark until the seed met the spark. They found each other in a city far from the crag in the dirt, where roadways ran like arteries and the city beat like a heart. Taillights and headlights rushed and a flow as thick as blood. Banks and parliaments throbbed and the city beat like a heart. No ordinary love, they said, as flowers grew along curbs, as vines crept along pavements and the city that beat like a heart. Tail lights and headlights rushed, and a flow as thick as blood. The wind that came from the north blew dark and sky and sun and dirt. And the city beat like a heart, and the city beat like a heart. Vines cracked the pavements, and the city beat like a heart. Thank you very much, but don't clap after every poem because there's quite a few of them. <laughs> don't get tired. Hi there. Sorry. No, no, I don't apologize. Glad to be. <clears throat> this is called In a Bamboo Shack. Oh, sorry, I'll let you get seated first. Pardon, that was very ignorant of me. <laughs> okay, so this is called in a bamboo shack on the edge of a beach. He read her The Moor by Russell Banks. It wasn't the story, although the story is good, and it wasn't the way he read it. The Scottish accent couldn't quite grasp the Americanisms. The sures and yes became parodies that brought humour to beauty that didn't need it. It was the fact that she lay with her head in his chest and he felt the rumble of his own voice and the vibration of words gone before. The story he read ends full of snow and they lay very still. But what to do? How long could they remain there? So he began to trace patterns on his skin with his fingers and the patterns became circles, and the circles became words. And these actions have a tendency to progress. He lifted her t-shirt over her shoulders and we know the rest. There are all types of bodies. If you're lucky, you'll find someone whose skin is a canvas for the story of your life. Write well. Take care of the heartbeat behind it. Um, don't clap. <laughs> <laughs> I was 
Hej der. Ja, det er også okay. Um, so I was given a bus ride to travel through India for six months. And while I was there, I found my way towards the Andaman Islands. And if you don't know where they are, they're off the east coast of India, kind of close to Burma. And uh, it was because I was in cities a lot of the time, and the cities were pretty crazy. So I just wanted to get myself out, give myself some heat space. And find a beach, basically. <laughs> so I went to, went to the Andaman Islands, and uh, there was a population of crocodiles there. And kind of freshwater or saltwater crocodiles, they were inland, so they must have been freshwater crocodiles. And uh, the path between you know, all the travellers was, have you seen a crocodile? And there were signs up everywhere, beware of the crocodiles. And I never, I never actually seen one, I didn't meet anybody seen one. But I was on this beach one day, and uh, well, I was sitting in a line of people, and this joint started to get passed along the line of people, right? And I'm no much a smoker, but it was a nice day, there was waves coming in, I was on the sand, and I thought, if there's ever a place for it, and, and it's here. So this joint got passed along, came to me, I took a couple of blasts, passed it on, and then I got this very specific type of paranoia. <laughs> Crocodile paranoia. <laughs> I was thinking, this could come out the sea, it could come out the jungle behind me. When I got totally paranoid and went back to my hut, I thought, this thing could come in the door. Because I don't know if you know, but crocodiles are really old. They've been about since the time of the dinosaurs, and you don't survive for that long without being a right sneaky bastard. <laughs> <laughs> so after I'd finished in India, I ended up in Thailand, and I was going along, bombing along on a moped, and I seen a sign said something like, uh, great burgers, come and see your crocodile. So I said, I'm having some of that. <laughs> so I wrote this poem, it's called Crocodile. <laughs> the low-lying tables were lit by lamps that dropped from the branches of a banyan tree. Customers ate beneath patches of light, focused, intent. As agreed, the waiter led me past the tables to a clearing and a long metallic storage tank. He drew back the latch, darkness, and the gentle slap of water. It was there, old and patient. Patient enough to survive the blotting of the sun. Patient enough to see the passing of the dinosaurs. Perhaps patient enough for that prison. Stood still beside the dark, I felt the pool of another language. I could have lowered my hand into the tank. I wanted to feel its bite. I wanted to hear its music. And this is called Temple. So while I was in Thailand, I was there with my wife and we were wandering through the red light district, as you do, and we seen the this bar called Pinocchio's. And so it looked at the front like an old English tavern. So we went into that and it wasn't a pub, it was a brothel. <laughs> but it was staffed by transgender females. So we got in there, we took stock of what was going on, we looked at each other, we said we're going to have a drink anyway. So we sat down, we had a drink and we got talking to the staff and we just had a great conversation. And post-conversation, I started to work on this poem, it's called Temple. The harmony of genders altered his perception of movement. He saw every gesture as a dance. She would take his hands and hold them tight and say, 
I love the way you see. But I'm trapped. He'd say, your fusion. The surgery, when it came, proved him wrong. Her post-op pussy was architecture like they couldn't believe. He was brought low before a building constructed to allow his lover out. Gone were bricks and steel and cement. This was flesh. You stifled that laugh pretty well there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, this is called Monuments of the Mind. Three men sit at the kitchen table. My grandfather smokes golden Virginia. Making a roll-up has become his ritual. His fingers help him think. So that's what he does. He teases tobacco from his tin. My father smokes silk cut and has a certain way of holding a cigarette, trapping it at the base of his first two fingers and lifting it to his mouth so his hand covers the lower half of his face. I don't smoke, but there is a bowl of soup in front of me. Both men like to see me eat. The room has been stained by two lifetimes of tobacco smoke and doesn't physically exist, but it's where I come for advice. In fact, both men no longer exist but their voices are as familiar as my own feelings. I slam my spoon onto the table. Well, if that's the way it is, then that's the way it is. That's the way it is, says my grandfather. My father nods his head. He says that is the way it is. This is called the January Fashion Confession. Yeah. My aunt shops online using Glen's vodka and iron brew to channel the Christmas spirit. <laughs> Last year, she downloaded some knitting patterns, began a self-prescribed course of coding and went to work on gifts for the family. I received the yellow and red mohawk hat with ear flaps and tassels. Something magic had happened in the knit. Somewhere in the opiate-induced alcohol and iron brew trance, my aunt had found a shamanic, a melted quality, more like a mohawk flame than a hat. The coat as a 20-year-old hand-me-down parka my uncle wore in the 90s when he thought it was Liam Gallagher. <laughs> Some of the swagger was left in it. I find the rolling motion helps to lift and plant the feet. The boots are surplus Dutch army, bought during the Forest of A World Cayley to help combat the difficult suck of the festival quagmire. I found they're just as suited to an icy pavement on a tricky Tuesday. <laughs> The canter is how you will find me. A yellow and red flame above a 90s parka and a pair of Dutch army boots. Sure of foot and swift of thought, 
with a swagger to match, cutting through the frost like a blowtorch. <laughs> um, my wife and I decided to stop smoking at the same time, which on the face of it is a good idea because one won't see the other one smoking and they won't be encouraged to lift a cigarette. But obviously, two people going through withdrawal symptoms at the same time has other ramifications. <laughs> so I wrote this poem, it's called um, The Long Dark. His tongue has flattened until the tip can lick like a razor and lash back and forth, striking blind, vindictive, careless. She has the cutlery eyes that can telekinetically unthread the open nerve of every sentence, and the battle has raged from room to room. The bed, a coffin. The bathroom, a locked cell. In the kitchen, the acute blue kettle chokes on every boil. The night has been long, and the sunrise is like black bleeding. But the sun does rise, and with it comes understanding, panting, breathless, brain-tired exultation, the necessary exorcism, the dance of dark and day. This is called Dirt. I want the dust beneath the fridge to hold the DNA of generations. I want to lift the delicate carcass of an insect from the carpet. I want to sit by the window and watch water in the gutter. And when I pull back the sheets, I want them dirty. I want the dirt on my hands. And I want it wet because there's rain and I've trucked through mud to get here. I want saliva and spit. And I want that part of your mind to celebrate it, to act it out. There's dignity there. Lay yourself open. We'll both blossom. If you want me to call you a whore, I'll do it. Stand in the muck with me. Live amongst the flowers. Um, this is called Marriage. And my cousin Sheena visited me one day and says, Billy, I'm getting married. I said, great, you know, that's fantastic. Congratulations. And she said, I'd like you to write a poem for the wedding. I said, oh, that would be an honour. <laughs> of course I'll do it. Thank you very much. And then she left and I thought, for fuck's sake, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so it was a civil ceremony and just before they got married, I had to stand up and say the poem. But this is the poem that I wrote. It's called Marriage. I could take this opportunity to wish you love and happiness. But you've already got that. No. My wish for you is the incidental, the ordinary. To know someone by the way their fork moves across a plate. To see the majesty in someone's back sleeping. My wish for you is 20,000 mornings climbing out of bed together. My wish for you there's 20,000 sunsets that you can't see because the curtains are closed and you're sitting in a room talking about nothing in particular. Let the special occasions take care of themselves. Learn to recognise the wonder in the everyday. My wish for you is a life lived together. <laughs> 
Filters, breakfasts, suppers, spoons and pills. And uh, I finished seeing the poem and I was in full kilt regalia and I had to walk past them and then walk down the aisle to get my seat. And as I was walking down the aisle I heard my cousin say, what the fuck was that? <laughs> yeah, the family can see right through you all the time. Um, this is called... Uh, this is called The Bevy. I had met this lassie. She liked the bevy. I like a drink myself, but this lassie liked the bevy. Normally I can keep it in check. Play football on that. Go on benders, but go a week or two with it. Regain the healthy goal. But I had met this lassie, and I got a red rash beneath my eyes for the bevy. Drinking too much yet. But I was enjoying myself, because we would have these brilliant arguments, probing each other's psyche, searching for soft spots, seeing what damage we could do, but holding back, being clever, never punching the core, because that way we could cover the soft spots with affection. That made us feel like we needed each other. That made us feel like we could destroy each other. Because falling in love with this lassie was like turning your chest to the universe and screaming, hit me! <laughs> but it didn't last. Because time passed and we realised we couldn't hurt each other. So I'm back playing football on that. Going on benders like, but keeping it in check. Um, this is called the performance. I know a man whose burden is a beautiful brown cello. He carries the instrument in a cumbersome white case. The case is dented and scratched and has seen sunsets from Santiago to Berlin. The man who carries the case frowns at every hill. He grumbles as he shoulders his way through busy streets. He secretly envies the flautists. <laughs> but the case carrier and the musician are not the same. They are separate in one body. One translates the great composers through memories of childhood. The other drinks whiskey and spits phlegm into his sink. They both remember a visiting cellist that asked their class to raise a hand. The hand was measured. The musician says it was to test the strength of his fingers. The case carrier will tell you that the cellist never looked him in the eye. <coughs> this is it. I'll go to the beginning of the poem. <laughs> what I'll do is I'll do one first, then I'll come back to it, okay? <laughs> right, okay. This is called Circles. I'm sure I've heard that lives move like circles. Acquaintances being overlapping lines, like sketching an endless series of Olympic symbols. So if two lines meet, 
a friendship begins. The next thing they meet, that friendship will end. Taking this as truth, I'm asking what about us? Your line, though gone, begins to trace once again those semi-sincere professions of love. Perhaps two arcs can shape a moon into a world of lines add some colour. This gives me hope, although never too soon, that I could be round again dancing in splendour. I was at a play once, right, and uh, the actor froze when he was saying his lines, and he stood there. I'd never seen that before. I'd never seen an actor like stand there on the stage, and he's like, oh, 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 and I was like, fuck, I was like, what's going on? What's going to happen? And he just shouted, line, and this wee, this wee voice with the back she was behind the door, and then that was it. And I, I knew the line, but there was something there following the script, and I never knew that happened. I was dying to look at you there, calling yeah. line. <laughs> Right. You did? <laughs> no, 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 it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. I'll go, I'll go, to, the, I'll go to the next poem. Okay, so this is called Wake. Get on, big man, you're a cracker. Gee's a cuddle. Dinny be fear. Your hearts are big enough not to let your biceps get in the way. We're warriors. Remember your mum? So they are. That's what I'm talking about. See that belly button? Stick your finger in it. No tears in your pain. That's what I'm calling Mon, I'll walk you up the road. Hey, okay, I'm still staring at this poem. This is it, and I can't remember the first line. <laughs> <laughs> is it in the book? It is in the book. Is anybody go to the book? <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank God. All <laughs> <laughs> right, well, cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Audience participation. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, let's look up. 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 Let's can I afford to burn toast? And it's November. Christmas is close. I've been away, but now I'm back. And every corner is a different colour because I'm home. And memories are painted with mischief. I'm outside Greg's eating a macaroni pie. And a busker picks up his guitar and plugs in his amplifier. The sound for the strings is like frost. He's young and the dreams that were born in his bedroom wake me up. I'm watching people passing and they know that he's good, but they don't want to look. They turn their head and tilt their ears and jog on. If I had a spare pound, I would throw it, but I don't, so I just listen. I'd like to tell him that this is it. This is where the hammer hits the stain and sparks are made. Standing on a corner in your home tune, an audience of one rad eating a macaroni pie. <laughs> but singing, wee man, you're singing. Wow, well, glad I got that in it. <laughs> Thank you very much. Cheers. Um, I'm just going to do uh, two more poems. Uh, 
This is called The Interview. A middle management centre, half man, half desk. <laughs> Collars for shoulders, buttons for nipples, lips like a paperclip. <laughs> so, he says, in a flat, wooden tone, what are your positive attributes? I only have one, so I tell him the truth. I say, I'm greedy. Gluttony is my positive attribute. I want everything. And I don't mean the money you're offering. Capital is desire for the deluded. I want loneliness. Because loneliness is beautiful. I want love because love is pain and pain is essential. I want fear. Fear is fact. I want all the lust life can muster. Lust is the push my mother pushed. Normal doesn't exist, so give me madness. I want it all, the whole lot. No holding back. And as an afterthought, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'll finish in this poem. I know it's, it's, it was market as I'm reading for Dirt, but this poem is not actually in Dirt, but I'd like to finish it anyway. It's called uh, The Dance. One hot night in Dubrovnik, in a room painted white, a little mosquito darkened the light. The wee thing faltered like it was fresh from the egg and seemed to do a polka as it wound around my head. I watched with mild interest as it tumbled to and fro until, like a crumb from a biscuit, it was right there on my pillow. So I danced with the hat as the drums hit the beat, the age-old waltz of monster and meat. It began as a tango with me in the lead, my hand slammed the pillow as the monster ducked its meat. It was gone in a flash, but the dance had begun, and the sneaky wee bastard sunk its snout in my bum. <laughs> you filthy wee fucker! I screamed at the night, and leapt from my bed, hot for the fight. I scanned the room for weapons, and found to my delight, my trusty brown journal, and the room painted white. <laughs> Naked as a fairy, with journal in hand, I crouched like a panther and whispered, Wee man, wee man. But it's time the little wings, oh so gossamer thin, didn't even whisper as he settled on skin. When the second chunk was taken, a fear came with the fire. It was more than just my blood this little thing desired. You are Beazle Bub the Midgey, your mother was hatched in shite. Stand and fight me like a man, instead of taking flight. Then much to my surprise, as if he had my call, Beazle Bub the Midgey landed on the wall. I stood there for a moment, then leant towards its snout. I shit you not right now, I heard that midgey shout. Come and get me, monkey! Come on, I have the toe! I've feasted on your da! I've shat upon your maw! My hand it moved so quickly, I think it from the shock that now upon this page is a very strange fool stop. <laughs> Thank you very much. Does anybody want to ask any questions? Yeah, but you know it's the females 
of the midges. The bite? Yeah. yeah. You have to redo it. Yeah, I, I, need, I, need to, I, I need to get the gender correct to write it right. Yeah. yeah. I'll ask a question, Billy. Yeah. Um, I can't remember my mobile phone number. How do you remember all those poems? Have you got any tricks or techniques? Uh, no, be prepared to fail. I suppose would be the, would be the, the trick. I no, I just I just uh, say them as I'm as I'm writing them, and then I perform them quite a lot as well. So it's a wee bit of a cheat. If you had to remember your your phone number every single time yeah. you come in to work and say it to somebody, then <laughs> you might get it, you know. So, um, and I tend to I see loads of people reading for their book, other poets. But they aren't actually reading for the book. They've just got the book in front of them because I've said it so many times, you know. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that, that know their poems that they do anyway. Mm -hmm. And I don't, don't actually know them all. I only know like a selection of them. So if we made a, a request, if you made a if you made a, a random <laughs> request, I might not know it. I. Yeah. <laughs> I won't do that. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. I was going to ask you when you when you write your work, do you write it for something to read in circles, or do you write it to see it? Uh, there are some that I never say at a reading because I just don't think they work as well at a reading. But most of the time, I'm I'm consciously thinking I'll be saying it out loud somewhere. I. So I think, but I work hard to make them work on the page. But I'd be telling I'd be telling a fib if I didn't imagine myself saying them out loud. And when I was vocalising it, if I didn't I didn't think about it. So I do think about that quite a lot. I. Oh, so I wasn't in any one place. It's like I went. I was. I did a huge loop. So I started off in Kerala, and then I did a, a massive use. So I went all the way up through Rajasthan, right, right over into um, Lucknow. So and up into Sikkim and round to Kolkata and loads of places in between. Like I went in, went into Maharashtra on the inside. Have you been to India yourself? No, my sister has. I really want to. Go. <coughs> I was just wondering where you've been. Aye, so I went to loads and loads of places. I just, I just kept on the move. Actually, I didn't stay in any place for too long. But it was a, it was a really, a really great experience. It's an amazing country. In oh. fact, when you speak to loads of people that are from India, they don't say it's a country. They say it's a continent. They say that the British called it a country, but actually it's not. It's a whole different, different countries, and they've just sandwiched it together. Mm. Has it really inspired dirt? Would you say? It did inspire dirt. Yeah. Yep. Aye, and also I met my wife when I was there as well. And we decided within two weeks that we were going to get married, and from then on I knew that I was totally fucked. You know, my life, <laughs> my life was never going to be the same again. It's a pretty crazy journey. Yeah. Yeah. India changes your life, doesn't it? Are there any poets you particularly share influences or that you admire? Oh, loads. So obviously there's loads of poets that I admire, but I've I've had so many influences. I've had so many poets that have influenced me. I've forgotten them all. But I would say um, Tom Leonard has influenced me as a, an American poet called Jack Gilbert uh, that I really like. Um, Liz Lockhead, even James Kelman, even though he's no, he doesn't write poetry, they've got that influence of him as well. Basically, that triumvirate of people have taught me that it's okay to listen to what your uncles are saying and your granddad's kitchen when they're playing darts and that is as relevant as as literature the same and it's as relevant as anything else, you know. So that's quite important. Oh, sorry, I thought the other person. Oh, sorry. Do you write every day? Do you have a schedule? Or? Yeah, I don't write when I'm travelling actually. So when I'm moving about doing readings, I don't 
sometimes I jot stuff down, but when I'm settled, I get myself into a routine. Aye, and I write every day. No, no, that it always works very well, but I try. I do mean I try. I was only going to ask if you had like a sort of eureka moment when it came to poetry. You know, where you um, you realised that was what you really wanted to do with your life, and what were the circumstances at that moment? Uh, there wasn't a single eureka moment, but I know there's like. And I was in primary school, and I tell the story quite a lot, so it feels tired to me, but it's, it's like, because people ask you this question, you know. But when I was in primary school, I, I say it's tired to me, but I'm just saying that just in case anyone in the audience has heard it before. It's not actually tired to me, I really like the story. <laughs> just in case you've heard it before, excuse me. Uh, but when I was 11 years old, my primary teacher asked the class to write a poem for homework. And I woke up in the morning and I hadn't completed the poem. So I had to jot it down right away. So I turned on the telly and there was a King's Cross station disaster was on the telly. So I wrote a poem about that, handed it into my teacher and she liked it so much that she sent it to Roger McGuff and he sent me a letter back saying, keep writing in capitals with an exclamation mark at the bottom. <laughs> and I didn't keep writing, but I kept, you know, I had that kind of the barrier was broken down between me and poetry and for a you know, working class laddie, that's quite important, you know, so always thought I could do it. So when anybody mentioned poetry, I was like, well, I could do that, you know? <laughs> and uh, I lost my job when I was 23 and thought, what do I actually want to do? So then I thought, I'm going to, I'm going to write. So I made the decision then. Do you ever run into Roger McGough to thank him? Oh, thank God you asked that. I was in Buckingham Palace, right? <laughs> 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 I, was, I, was, I was in Buckingham Palace and I was like, it was a, a reception for, uh, the, for contemporary poets, right? And I was standing there in a big room and actually, the Queen was walking about, chatting with folk and that, and Prince Philip as well. And uh, I thought, God, I wonder if Roger McGuff's here. So then I started going about asking people, has anybody seen Roger McGuff? Has anybody seen Roger McGuff? And I kept saying, aye, but I couldn't find him. But eventually I found him and I thanked him. Oh. In Buckingham Palace, listen, you won't remember me, but this is what happened, thank you very much. And uh, he seemed quite pleased, so I'm glad I got the chance to say it to him. Mm -hmm. Did you have a word with uh, her marriage? No, I didn't actually, but Prince, Prince Philip came along and said something about him. Um, is it, say something about one of the poets that was there and he said, what is he, he said, I can't believe someone would come up and uh, read poems and you can't even hear what he said, no, just, just mumble. And I was like, that's his back. No, great. <laughs> Too busy looking at the books. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's interesting, in, every time you're introduced, the, the roofing things mentioned is the sort of background of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, all case, you know, a lot of poets are teachers, are librarians, and do other things. If if you can up roofing, are you? Is, is it possible to live off poetry? Yeah, I am living off poetry at the moment. Yeah, um, I'm getting thinner. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's possible. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to really keep it up for forever. You know, that's the that's the reality. Yeah. But um. I'm enjoying myself anew, but I'm no roofing anymore. But it's a family company, so my job's always there for me if I want to go back. <laughs> no one's getting any. Oh, sorry. Do you do you see any sort of connections between actually um, composing a poem and fixing a roof? I think, um, well, there's there's craft in, mm -hmm. in both, I suppose. Uh, what I do notice is that working with your body really helps you think through things. So it's the same as if you take, if, you go, if you've got a problem, or even if you've not got a problem, you're just thinking through something and you take a long walk 
and then all of a sudden it comes to you. But it's like you stop focusing on the problem and you start focusing on where am I going to go, you start looking at things and then it comes up for your unconscious. But physical movement and repetitive movement it reacts with the endorphins in your brain and that releases a positive it releases a positive emotion and it's a good time to be thinking about something. Now I tend to find that if I'm if I'm actually able to focus my mind, then it tires me out and you're never gonna so just say you, you were you were teaching kids, you're never gonna be able to work on a poem while you were teaching kids because your mind's got to be focused all the time. And when I was doing something that was just repetitive on the roofs, maybe just carrying slate from one side to the other, I thought it was a great time to work on a poem. I actually went to Italy to teach kids at a summer camp, right, for a summer. And honestly, at the end of the day, I couldn't lift my legs. That was just like, just my concentration on all these kids, trying to teach them, making sure they're okay as well, making sure that they're going to keep healthy. Like, I was more tired than when I walked on the roofs. Much more tired. That's teaching. Yeah. Do you, I know I shouldn't ask this because you've just got a, a new collection out, but do you have any other projects or things in the pipeline that we should watch out for? I'm just, so I took, when I finished the first collection, I, we were talking earlier on, I felt like, oh God, I don't know if I'm going to be able to write another poem. I took all my poems to the first book and then got a wee bit, tiny wee bit like stressed, but then everything was all right. So after the second collection, I thought I'm just going to leave it for a year and just let everything build up again. And so I just started the next collection. But... I don't think you should talk about it too soon because it's like letting the juice out the bottle. Mm. Do you know? You should <laughs> keep your energy and focus on writing your stuff. Don't talk it away. Yeah, don't talk it away. Mm. <laughs> would you take a last request just to wind things up? Would that be too cheeky? No, no, would you like to have a last request? Well, there's so many, isn't there? And what about Be Prepared? That's a good one. Okay. <laughs> this is called um, Be Prepared. And I wrote it when I was still working on the roof section. Wear three t-shirts and one hooded top. Layers are important, they can always come off. Remember your oilskins, it's always raining somewhere. Wear a scarf, cold air moves down from the neck. Wear gloves, they're useless when wet, but handy if you hit the wrong nail. Pay attention to the moment, the way water drips, the way a spider scuttles. Have a healthy fear of heights. When working from a ladder, know which way to fall. Railings and slabs are unforgiving. Flower beds and fuchsia bushes are better. <laughs> Practice your scream. When you strike your thumb with a hammer, don't squeal. Roar like a lion. When the pain subsides and you look around, you'll know exactly what I mean. Acknowledge the moon. It was part of the earth once. Its loneliness can make you feel beautiful. Lift properly, because you'll need your back to make your money. <laughs> Thank you. Billy's um, second collection, Dirt on Sale downstairs. I think we're selling it for 9 99 Yes. Yep. That's the best tenor you'll spend tonight. <laughs> I'm sure Billy would be, love to sign it for you as well. So thanks very much for coming along. Um, we've got other events in our spring season. Check them out. But um, I think I'll just say thank you for coming one more time and just ask you to give Billy one more round of applause. <laughs> Thank you.
Cheers. Uh.